Welcome to the Prog School Podcast, where we break down progressive rock albums in a way that anyone, even you, can understand. Today, we're going to be discussing the fourth studio album from Yes, Fragile. I am Gerald Dalebout. I'm a teacher, and as they say, those who can't play prog metal uh, teach. <laughs> I think that's a saying. Yes. I'm Morgan Wick, and I'm a musician, composer, and I run the prog school. And that's what this podcast is all about. Um, right. I'm super excited to talk about this album. This is a, a yes, is a, f- a favorite band of mine from the early prog stuff. So. Yeah, so what was your first encounter with Yes? Like, uh, when did you first hear them? And then how did that kind of develop, so, actually? So my entry into Prague was Dream Theater, I'm sure, as many people know, because I'm sure I'll talk about them a lot <laughs> on the Prague School podcast at some point, and also just in the Prague School lessons. But um, I remember somewhere I read that, that someone described Dream Theater as Yes meets Metallica which mm. I thought was a pretty good description. So I was like, well, you know, when I was at 17, I discovered that. I was like, well, you know, I should better go back and check out some Yes, too. Uh, so I went back and I'm sure Roundabout was probably the first song I ever heard. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. You know, so. Yeah, I think that's the same. I mean, I've, I've heard Roundabout, like, you know. I feel like everyone work, knows that song. Yeah, if you're like walking through the grocery store, <laughs> you're going to hear Roundabout, like, play. It's so popular. And also, I I do remember my sisters listening to, uh, they were a lot older than me, and they listened to uh, Owner of a Lonely Heart. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> well, I've never really been a huge fan of that song. This- and uh, I just right up front, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of 80s Yes, although I haven't given it, like, a, a huge listen. This is not going to be uh, a fragile podcast. It's just going to be Gerald ripping on 80s Yes. ripping <laughs> on 80s Yes and all their ridiculous sound effects. Like it's hard to listen to '80s Yes and not see just the Breakfast Club in detention or like John Cusack skiing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're just you're just hearing like the 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 stabs, those like orchestral '80s stabs, yeah, yeah. and all. And you're just like, this is too much. I don't know. I talked to a guy who grew up in the '80s, and and he was just like, oh man, this album was so good. And he's like, you got to listen to. Um, it's the one where where they're doing all the the acapella. Nine hundred one two five. Right? Well, it's on 90125. That's yeah. that's their highest selling. It's Leave It on 90125. Okay. And it sounds like, you know, the Christmas music, the pentatonics. <laughs> it sounds like that with Yes. Like and I'm like, this is talent. This is good. It's just the aesthetic that gets me. I don't like the early 80s aesthetic. So, but the 70s, yes, I can definitely get behind. So uh, there, there is a thing with, I think it's just 80s music in general. And we'll probably cross this enough of times with other prog bands that i'm thinking like specifically rush i'm sure we get to talk about rush we'll yeah <laughs> we'll knock on the 80s rush albums too but yeah um there was a lot of technological advances in the 80s with computers and just sound effects in general and production levels and and i feel like when anything new happens a lot of times people go overboard so i feel like a lot of these bands yeah. went really overboard on the production and like you're talking about that vocal part is probably more processed and tuned than you would want like yeah. when we, I'm going to talk about the vocals on Fragile quite a few times, and and one thing about them is they're if you listen really closely, they're not auto tuned like at all because mm-hmm. that's not really a thing that happened in the 70s. So you have all these layered parts, but if you listen closely, you're like, oh, that one's slightly out of tune and stuff. But I think it adds a lot to the character. Um, uh, yeah, you, you can and go you, you... you can go way too far on the over processing side, and, and I think that happened in the 80s, and then kind of 
then the nineties with grunge and all that, it kind of brought it back, I think. So yeah, to get that organic feel. I mean, you still hear that today. Like, uh, you know, I mean, we'll get into this later, but <clears throat> on roundabout there's parts where the tempo, you know, changes pretty significantly. Um, gosh, I can't remember the exact part, but, but it's, it, uh, I think it's right before the bridge that the tempo really starts to slow down yeah. and you just don't see that music today because they're all on a, you know, on a click track and it's very refined. And I understand the use of a click track, but it does take away from the organic yeah. feel of it. You know? So the production I think has gotten more organic, especially in rock and metal. Yeah. Um, but the click set track element is still there, obviously. I mean, there's no bands yeah. now that don't record to a click. Um, wow. And that, well, really, I mean, especially in in, this, in Prague. Um, and I think, you know, it makes sense because the music's so complicated that it's, it's much easier if you're playing with a click. That's also why it's super impressive that these old bands were not yeah. playing on a click. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Isn't that a strength then of Yes, that they can yeah, play... Sure. You know, and then like, it seems kind of, I don't, I don't, you know, way more about this than I do, but I, and that's why I'm here is to just, uh, throw those questions out that an average lay person might ask, but it seems like a click track can obviously be like a crutch, you know, uh, you're relying on this click track. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it's like using a calculator or whatever, rather than doing the math yourself. And so, yeah, I, to me, it's more impressive to not use a click track. Yeah. So. Well, a click. I mean, it's not it's not playing for you. It's just kind of right. helping you keep the tempo. The other thing is when you get into technical music, I found playing live is that the tendency is to speed up, especially if you're playing a concert in front of people. You get, like, excited, and then it speeds up. And then you're already playing complicated music, so as soon as it speeds up, you're, like, and you're nervous from playing. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of reasons to have a click track just for performance issues, too. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I, I actually like to play without a click. Uh, in most band contexts. Now, I wouldn't want to do it if I was doing a Sense of Gravity concert or something, but uh, right. if I was doing, like, we did never play with a click track when we did covers. I was in a cover band with Gerald. Um, yep. And we played Rush and some other complex music, too. And we probably rushed it. Uh, it yeah, probably pretty a fast. seven <laughs> holds the tempo pretty good. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, why do you need a, a metronome or a click track when you have a seven? That's the... <laughs> You guys are going to see a Stebbin on the channel at some point playing drums. Yeah, he'll he'll get on here. So, yeah, so let's talk about uh, the actual album. Yeah, yeah. So, Fragile is coming out November 26, 1971 on Atlantic Records. It went to number seven on the UK charts and number four in the US, which is super really impressive. High. That's so high. Can, if you think of the albums that are coming out, I mean, what we got uh, Led Zeppelin 4. So, like, Roundabout is competing with, you know, Stairway to Heaven and Black Dog. <laughs> Uh, Black Sabbath, Master of Reality, um, Aqualung by Jethro Tull. Uh, you have the the uh, Imagine by John Lennon is in there. Um, Sticky Fingers by the Rolling Stones, which has like Brown Sugar and Wild Horses. Uh, there's so much good music coming out in 1971, and that this this very complex, very innovative album could compete with those is is just impressive to me i think it's a lot of that is roundabout i mean because there was a radio edit that was like what three minutes or something three and a half minutes yeah and that actually i think that came out in 72 okay Um, but yeah but a lot of these sales yeah would have to do with that the the other one is obviously long distance uh, long distance run around run around other short song which once again it's also not a simple song it's like a simple pop song the structure is pretty simple and it's short but it's like it's super involved um yeah yeah that that's i'm gonna i'm gonna say that i hate radio edits 
of like any songs. Like oh, well, I yeah. absolutely he... hate radio edits, especially of longer songs like this. I mean, you're cutting oh, out terrible. more than half the song because the song is eight and a half minutes long. You're cutting five yeah. minutes of it. What are they cutting? How do they cut? Are they cutting five minutes out of a song? It's crazy. When you're just pandering, like you know, I, I really have a firm belief that that something ceases to be art if you're effectively pandering to the audience to sell more. You know, it and just sullies the radio's the not product. a thing. Yeah, radio's not a thing like it was back then. So I understand like they want to have yeah. a certain amount of you know they want to get through as many songs as possible or whatever. But well, even like Haken, Haken has where am I? At? Haken has a uh, Cockroach King was That's had right. a radio edit, which yeah, is which so. is not as good. Like the problem is, no. <laughs> like when songs like this, if they cut well, Cockroach King, the parts parts they cut are like some of the best parts of the whole song. I know, just, I know, and I don't know why they would choose to do it's well i'm sure we'll talk about the mountain later so we can talk about that later but. yeah yeah so despite all that though this album's still soaring it's competing with the best of them um you have the members so the this is their fourth album you have the the four from the uh those previous albums uh john anderson on lead backing vocals you have steve howe on electric and acoustic guitar as well as backing vocals uh chris squire on the bass he's just oh man he's such a good bass mm-hmm. player also on backing vocals and a little bit of electric guitar on this. Um, and then you have, actually, maybe you should correct me, Bill B- Bruford, this this isn't his first album, right? No, this is this Rick is Wakeman's first album. It's Rick Wakeman's first album, and it's Bill Bruford's second? Or maybe, actually, he was with him the whole time, and I'm just totally, I never even thought about that. Oh, no, oh, no. Uh, I know, I don't know something. Oh, I know, they're God. like, he... he Leave a comment. Just blast me in the comments. Well, like, Bill Freeford actually playing from there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. But yeah, Rick Wakeman, though, the this is his first album, and he crushes it on this album. I mean, no, Tony he, no great, Bill Bruford was there from the beginning. He was. Okay, that's <laughs> yeah, what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't think you that were confused by the really Rick <laughs> Yeah, and, and the keyboards yeah. are a huge part of this album. Well, just yes in general. Um, oh, man, yeah. Yeah, there's ridiculous. All the players, every one of these guys is incredible by themselves too. So, um, one thing that I think about with keyboard sounds is I, I almost categorize prog keyboard playing into like two categories. One is like the atmospheric, like textural kind of playing, where it's just lots of pads and it's lots of think like Pink Floyd or something like that, I'm sure, which we'll talk about next. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just kind of filling up space and adding to the atmosphere. And then there's the virtuosic keyboard playing which is this where the player where they you know the keyboardist is going along with the guitars and all the bass and all the craziest parts so yeah and that's the i guess like tony k you know was unwilling to give up his organ and they're like we need a keyboard player that can play um you know a, a variety of these new instruments and... coming out the mellotron and the the mini mini moog yeah the is mini that, do you say moog the... or moog it's moog I've heard people Moog? say it multiple ways. Moog. I've heard I've heard people oh, no, say it Moog. many ways. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's the prog nerds are going to come all these nerd- me again. <laughs> We're just going to make fun of prog nerds on a prog podcast. I just <laughs> Actually, want, yeah, it's pronounced in you in the U.S. They pronounce it Moog, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that's the thing. Like, I'm going to do that all the time. I I'm kind of along for the journey uh, as far as learning. Like, as far as yes, I mean, I've listened to yes a little bit, but. Preparing for this episode, I've listened to Yes more than I ever have in my mm-hmm. life and now appreciate him. Yeah. Well, so it's made me go back and kind of dig into more details than I might normally do too. So, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. A lot of these tracks I'd never heard. I'm like, oh, wow. Yes has a diversity of, of sound. Speaking of keyboards and especially organ, <laughs> let's uh, talk yeah. about Roundabout because 
Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, I guess one last thing just oh, to set yeah, this yeah. up. So, so their first album, if you listen to it, it's very like, um, it, it's more straightforward. The bass isn't as crunchy. It, it, it does have the distinct vocals and harmonies and stuff. But after they saw a King Crimson gig, which we covered in our last episode, they're like, we need to get more technical. They bring Rick Wakeman on board. They were going to do a double album, but um, they, because of uh, monetary constraints, they decided to just do one track. And then they, they, how they structured this album is they effectively have four tracks that are the whole band working together, and then five tracks where each individual person sort of showcases their talent. And so this was apparently Bill Bruford's idea who wanted to have individual tracks and each person like composes it. And so we open up with roundabout. roundabout. There we go. I brought it in. There you go. <laughs> um, the, I, I mentioned the organ because this song has like one of the, maybe the most famous like rock organ solo of all time, like towards the like middle end section, that really long, um, b3 kind of organ solo which is awesome <laughs> yeah yeah and and wakeman is all over the place in this song like even in the chorus there's that like uh the 16th note arpeggio like you know that is going like oh, over yeah. the vocals it's crazy um but this is an interesting song we talked about it like there's a radio edit and obviously it's the most popular song you hear it in the in a grocery store or whatever yeah but this song is eight and a half minutes long and it's really complex and it goes all over the place. So it is surprising that it became like a hit in any way. Yeah, seriously. It's um, it's also just right off the bat, all of them showcasing their specific talents, yeah. you know, like not even from a mixing perspective, like you have that reverse keyboard at the beginning. Uh, you get this really legit crunchy bass line uh, on his, uh, on Chris Squire's Rickenbacker. That's just, uh, I mean, his tone is amazing. It obviously goes on to inspire, you know, Getty Lee. Uh, and you can watch it when that, when yes is inducted into rock and roll hall of fame, you can see Getty Lee cover this song with yes, oh, which is awesome. I, have to, I don't think I've seen that. I watch that. You, you really should. Yeah. It's really good. It's that baseline um, in the verse. The it's, it's absolutely ridiculous if you listen to yeah. it. It's like all over the place. It's crazy. Well, that's the thing. I listened to their, you know, Yes songs, the previous album. Uh, or is it the Yes album? Now I'm saying it wrong. Gosh, yeah, Frog yeah, yes album. coming out. Yes me. songs is later. <laughs> yeah, Yes songs are a live album. Um, but his tone is much more standard on that album. Mm. And this, he really kicks it up where it almost plays like a, like a metal or like a rhythm guitar. It's very good. Uh, it's kind yeah. of how he's, yeah. And I, I watched a video on how he gets that tone. And it's basically, he has like a pick and his thumb are like hitting the string at the same time. And it gives this sort of organic feel, mm -hmm. but simultaneously it gives that, that crunch of the pick. And uh, yeah. So, so playing bass with a pick is much more common in heavier music. Like your any of your more extreme like metal bands and newer metal bands and stuff there a lot of times using a pick on a bass because it just kind of gives you a lot more of an aggressive sound and mixing with the guitar. So that's a cool like combination of pick and fingers, right? Yeah, no, it it, it it's great. And yeah, what, and what mean, you have is like you have that super aggressive bass and it's really interesting. Everyone's style of playing is very different on, yeah. the, on this album. So you have like the Bill Bruford is he's a jazz drummer is what it sounds like to me, you know, he's, but he's playing rock. So he's got like all this, like, like a lighter touch and groove and he's moving around. And then you've got like really, uh, crunchy, heavy bass. And then of course you have the keyboards on top 
and guitar. Well, and, and yeah, and then you have kind of the pop vocals of yeah. uh, John Anderson. He has, it's very much like harmonies, like very Beatles-esque, right? And then Steve Howe, uh, and I guess, you know, obviously uh, Wakeman as well, but they have sort of that classical influence. Yeah, um, well, too, well, Wakeman's so. classically trained, so. Right. Um, and he really puts that to work later on in the album too. But um, yeah, I think maybe it's the vocals that make this, yes, more accessible just in general. Um, yes, they're very, very catchy. He's catchy. The melodies are catchy. And he has a very sort of uh, easy listening, pleasing voice. You know what I mean? It's not something that's like harsh on you to listen to. Like a lot of times when people first hear Getty Lee or something, they're like, what the heck? You know what I mean? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Because this tone yeah, is yes very is... different. But this is much more, I think it's a little easier to digest the vocal like tone, especially. Oh, totally. I mean, it's honestly, his vocals are beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he just has such like an angelic yeah. voice. And know? we talked um, with the King Crimson about how in every song there was only, on Core of the Crimson King, there's only really like two vocal parts, you know? There'd be like a verse and mm-hmm. a chorus, not much layering, and then it would just go into instrumentals. But the vocals just in Rush, or Rush, yes, in general, are much more like a part of the song throughout. Like there's no, there's some solos in Roundabout, there's no long sections that are over a couple minutes long where there's no vocals. There's always some sort of vocal thing coming in here or there. And there's also really layered parts. I mean, you think about the part at the very end where there's got multiple things going on all at once. Um, yeah. And then just throughout there's like, you know, four or five layers of harmony, like in the choruses and stuff like that. So it's very, uh, involved vocally, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And also that, that sort of, uh, I guess bridge section, just what it's doing percussively. And then I, I, uh, the vocals are the thing with, with, uh, John Anderson's lyrics. And I, I believe that this is about, um, well, it's about roundabouts actually. I have the lyrics. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's about roundabouts that are in, I think they were touring and it was like, they were traveling through Scotland, I believe. Yeah. Glasgow. And they, uh, they were just seeing the mountains. And so you get, you know, the mountains come out of the sky and stand there and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so it's, it's just effectively scenery that they're seeing, but then it goes into that, that breakdown, that kind of percussive breakdown. It's talking about yeah. like whirlwinds and stuff. And you really, I see with John Anderson's vote, uh, uh, his lyrics, they're not philosophical. They're not like political, maybe philosophical, but not like political or anything, say like Pink Floyd or something. Uh, but they they more accompany the music, like the lyrics he's describing. He's almost like painting an image for you to see as you, you listen to the music. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's good, and and it's it's definitely much more lighthearted Prague compared to especially like King Crimson. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is like super it's... cynical and you know. <laughs> yeah, what dark. were their? They had. Do you remember? Yes's. Uh, they had other band names. Uh, oh, I can't remember what were they. But all their band names are all like super positive. It's like li- life was one of them, you know, yeah. or like it's like he- heaven or, you know, stuff like that. It's very, it's totally the opposite of King Crimson. Really, yeah. Yeah. In, or, or in a lot of ways too, but it's, um, yeah. it's fun though. And I think this music, you know, it, it's, it's not as emotional as listening to something like dark side of the moon or something like that, you know, but yeah, but it's fun. And it's, it's inner, there's energy, a lot of energy to it and it's cool. And I, and I think I, I talked about with King Crimson that a lot of the album I felt for a progressive rock album was lacking some of the rock part of it. And I, I know yeah. there's, we talked about that last time, but this album feels much more energetic and rock than, oh, yeah. than the previous album. 
So yeah, and I, and I, and so again, I, can, I can understand why this would chart higher than you know other prog albums. Oh yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot to say about Roundabout. Uh, like oh, I said, yeah, just showcases, showcases all of them. I don't know. You, you probably have more to say. Yeah. So I mean, you have ahead. like it's a kind of a quintessential prog song. It is really like a yeah. pop song format because you have the verses and choruses, and the chorus comes back at the end. But you have long extended instrumental parts, solos. Um, and uh, like keep big long keyboard solo we talked about and then followed right by a guitar solo that's a really common prog thing is like trading solos back and forth and then mm-hmm. unison runs so like all the band playing or guitar and keyboard and bass like all playing fast runs together there's some of that stuff like that all that stuff mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and then that bridge section you're talking about is very like latin influenced you have a uh, like a clave rhythm right that kind of a mm-hmm. thing um and I would guess that that was probably a, a Bruford thing, because if he's a jazz, because uh, yeah. if a jazz drummer, it's very Latin jazz is a really, really popular, popular way to play jazz is to do Latin rhythms. Um, right, and he's also hitting he's hitting some kind of a like a bell or, or some kind of sound that's in the background. Yeah, there. there's like also a, a lot of random percussive. There is a bunch of auxiliary percussion, so extra <laughs> percussion during that part. Um, so I'm sure some of the people who are watching this or listening to this have heard of Rick Beato. He has an awesome music channel, um, but yes. he broke down this song was one of the ones and he has the ability to get like the individual stems from the song. So he goes through the I whole, know, how does he do that? I, I watched knows, that video. Cause he knows everyone. <laughs> oh, did oh, you watch okay. the roundabout one? Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I, watched I would highly this. recommend that anyone go check it out. Cause he oh, can seriously. go into the super details of all the different kind of musical stuff. Is his channel just Rick Beato? Yes, just Rick Beato. Oh, man. I mean, yeah. he's got too many I, subscribers, so he's one of my favorites. He, I love the way he breaks down stuff, but yeah, um, no, he was a he was a producer and stuff, so he is he can get access to all that. Um, yeah, and he also can like show you exactly what's happening musically, which yeah, is really he talks useful. a lot of the chord progressions and stuff like that, which I might talk yeah. a little bit about, but we're kind of just talking about the album in general, so I'm yeah, not here. Yeah. I'm not here to do music theory breakdowns. That's what uh, that's, the rest, that's what the rest of my channel is for. Go check it out. It, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, roundabout. Great song. Probably don't yeah. need to talk too much more about I don't, that. You, you kind of, well, I was going to, I was going to ask you about the keys. Cause ah. there's, I think Rick Wakeman plays at least three different keyboards, right? It, yeah. He, so he does like the classic, uh, it, it, I've, you see those pictures sometimes where it's like some guy standing on stage with like eight keyboards, you know, like all around him in yeah. stacks. So that was definitely Rick Wakeman <laughs> that, uh, that kind of thing. Cause back in the day you couldn't do all the different sounds on one keyboard. Now you can have one keyboard that controls all your sounds, right? There's no need to have yeah. six or seven, but back then to get all those different sounds, they had to, you know? Right. So it well, also looks it really ends, cool. I mean, what, what is it? So what, how, yeah, what, what plays out? So you have the intro, uh, he's got what, uh, an or just a standard organ. Well, right? that first sound I, I believe is just, it's a reverse piano. That first thing that comes in. <clears> right. Like, yeah. You yeah. got organ and, um, there's some piano and there's different kind of synths and, and there's Mellotrons and I, I yeah, don't remember mel- exactly all the keyboard sounds on that. Yeah. One. Well, the mel the Mellotron is at that, you know, at the very end, uh, chorus, I guess. Right. And yeah. it plays the Mellotron in the background. And then there's even those little fills that have the mini, the mini move. Mini Moog. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, that's the thing. This, this song is their second most uh, uh, listen to song apparently next to owner of a lonely heart. So which if is I a look tragedy. it up, when I looked it up on <laughs> Apple music, which is what I stream with roundabout pops yeah. up first. As really? The, song, the first song. Spotify. So I'm curious. Yeah. 
It's either first or second. Second is the owner of a lonely heart. That's awesome. Uh, so lonely owner of a lonely heart on Spotify is 123 million okay. and roundabouts only 73 million. Yeah, well, there you go. That's really sad. That's sad. People stop listening <laughs> yeah. to 80s. Yes. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Well, even, even some of the 80s. Yes is, is okay. But that owner of a lonely heart is this, uh, anyway, it was probably okay, part so, of a movie or something, right? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's probably breakfast club or a John Cusack skiing movie or something like that. Like I can see somebody jumping in the air and it freeze frames and it plays owner of a lonely heart you know what i mean like owner of a lonely heart as he jumps uh anyway yeah oh yeah so so speaking of wakeman so then we go into the second track and that's cans and brahms Brahms. and that is wakeman showcasing but he had a solo contract with a&m so he wasn't allowed to write any music for this album which is that's I don't know. Really that's weird. just weird to me. Uh, so he just played a piece by Johann Brahms. Brahms Fourth Symphony, or like an excerpt from it. So he just took yeah. some open source music and played it. Cause he's, yeah. He's like, uh, all right, cool. I guess I can show off my abilities. It's really cool. Um, you know, we'll see this in other bands too, is to literally just take like classical pieces and just put them into with different instrumentation or in a rock band format. Yeah. Um, open source. So, you know, there's, it's, it's interesting to hear this kind of music with these more, I guess for the time, modern keyboard sounds. So yeah, I don't do bands. I don't think any prog bands would do something like this today. Right. But just take an excerpt from it. Just, yeah. I mean, they might like tease something, you know, uh, in a song, but I can't imagine taking a whole song and be like, you know what, let's just play some Johan Brahms right now. Well, um, <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about Symphony X at some point because we're both big Symphony X fans. But yeah. there are a number of Symphony X songs. There's probably 10 or 12 that have like just full classical excerpts from stuff. Oh, okay. Like completely just ripped right from the... the, And it fits well into their style. So there are definitely other bands that do it. Um, well, there's also something unique about this song is that, you know, he they had, multi, they had what, 16 track audio recordings, right? Yeah. So he's like, I'll play the keyboard here and then I'll go get on the other instrument and play that over the top. And that was like a big deal. Whereas today, like, it's so easy to do. Like you can plug into GarageBand or whatever, change the distortion and, and play something like that. But back then you had to like record each individual track yeah. and have the specific like keyboard. Like you couldn't just switch the sound. Well, yeah, I have a, my, my next prog school song, which is coming out, I guess it'll, it'll have, well, I've already been out by the time that this is going, but um, yeah. I have like a dozen different keyboard sounds and parts. And it's like, I didn't even play any of them. I just like, you yeah, know, just programmed them in. And it's just, I'm just by myself and they just pop in all perfectly in there. So, but back yeah, in the so day, it was not so easy to do that stuff. Yeah. So you gotta, I guess you gotta respect that, you know? And I also like, you know, it's very forward thinking. Uh, like some of the, there's a part of the song that sounds like a chip tune, like a Nintendo song. <laughs> You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It has like that 8-bit sort of quality, which is pretty cool. This is pre-8-bit, but or pre-Nintendo. Yeah. Um, this is there's not too much to talk about really there. It's just kind of a No. And then and then there's another one which you don't have uh too much to talk about, but then you have John Anderson's We Have Heaven. Yeah. Which, which is, is cool. cool. Uh, whoa, we both said it's just cool at the same time. Oh my god. Um <laughs> I like I love how this particular part comes back at the very end of the album. I think that's cool too. Um, that is the reprise, yeah, yeah. after uh, Heart of the Sunrise. This right. one has a little bit more of that folky with the acoustic guitar. You know, we talked about the medieval kind of folky thing. Um, with Prague, with King yep. Crimson. So there's a little bit of that here. 
How, uh, how many? Do you know how many vocal tracks of John Anderson? I, I there didn't are? count it. I should have. There, as far as di- I don't know, every single part. There's four or five different parts that like yeah. layer on top of each other. I would guess that each one is at least doubled, maybe quadrupled, depending on. That's pretty standard. So you probably have at least a couple dozen vocals, like tracks, because yeah. you have. And and they're popping up if you listen to it with headphones, especially you'll hear they're popping up in different like sides of the, right. Um, oh, yeah, the stereo. When did when does uh, that actual stereo effect comes out in the late '60s? I don't know the exact year, but yeah, you can always hear them like messing around with that. Like, whoa, we played in the left ear. Yeah, and it can like pan across. You know, uh, they they really especially with Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, that's pretty. Like that. People do that now. If you have that many parts, yeah, if you put everything in the center, if you have like four or five different vocal parts, you put them all in the center, you will not be able to separate them. With your ears, won't be able to separate which parts are doing what. So yeah. by spacing them out, then you can start to hear them all differently. But yeah, I mean, it's cool. I love the way that they layer on top of it. The vocals layer on top of there. It it is interesting. Yep. It's very much uh, you can tell that John Anderson wrote that one. Um, yeah, and there's also there's also that whole like uh, like a door opens up, yeah, and then like there's footsteps, and I don't know. I was gonna ask you like, do you think that kind of stuff is sort of would you classify that as prog like mixing in sound effects? Yeah, I feel like lots of bands do that. Yeah, it's true. I I do. Yeah, that's true. But I I think also like next week we're gonna talk about uh, wish you were here. But there's the you know welcome to the machine. There's like the elevator sound. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, and that goes and with the aesthetic seems... of that song, I think, but. Oh, totally. Yeah. The mechanical, but anyway, I don't want to talk about that too much, but I, there, there is a lot of elements of that in, in this. And obviously the Beatles are doing this and all kinds of bands are doing this, but I do feel like it's kind of a prog element. Like we talk about the musicianship, but we don't always talk about the, um, the mixing aspects, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I mean, this, this kind of music is super complex to mix. I mean, because I, oh, yeah. I do it for myself. So I understand there's so many different parts going on and everything's really involved. Um, the simpler the music, the easier it is to mix. That's been my experience anyway, you know, because once you have so many things going on, especially if lots of things are doing complex instruments are doing complex things and it gets really hard to kind of make sure everything can be heard. But right. Yeah. And I, one thing about the album in general is we talked about, there's only, there's the four songs were all written together and it's like, to me, that is those four songs are the album. Like really? Yeah. And the rest of this stuff just kind of seems like, filler transition things to me like they're cool but um i think the the best stuff happens in the big bulk tracks yeah i mean so what are the other maybe we could just talk about those last solo tracks and really quick i mean yeah so you got five percent for nothing uh by bruford which is like a little like 30 30 seconds seconds of (laughs) random jamming i'm not even sure it honestly feels out of place in the album but yeah, and it's it's his, apparently his first attempt at composition. Oh, I read, um, but also, uh, shoot, what was I going to say about that? Well, there, you also have this element of like where the other instruments are all like a sixteenth note off or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they like all. It's like they all play at the same time, and they mixed it later, and they're like, let's just set it off a little bit, which is kind of interesting. And then the the title's interesting. That five percent for nothing was basically that Bruford was looking through their contract and saw that they had to give 5% of the money that they made for nothing. And that's why he called it that. Ah, so maybe this song is intentionally like... Maybe he's like, screw you guys. <laughs> yeah, here's run. this song. If I have to make this many, here you go, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It also then- has... Um, there's definitely... Uh, yes has less parts that feel like improvisation than we right. dealt with, with with King Crimson. So something like this kind of, I think, 
at least deals with that kind of jam sort of element as well. Cause that's still and, there in some ways. And the fish. Uh, I, oh, so yeah. I watched when you watch the fish live, that's their improvisational part. It seems like the other songs, when they play live, they play it as is, you know, there, there's, there's obviously some differences mm-hmm. that they'll throw in, but uh, the fish is where they really do a lot of improvisation. I actually kind of think for me, I don't know, as I'm listening, I, f- I, f- I think of long distance runaround in the fish as kind of being one thing. That's what it seems like to me. Okay. I listen. Yeah, I don't know because they after, transition right? right into the next into each other. I mm-hmm. don't know. It always feels like they go together. Um, and then mood for a day is just classical guitar, pretty much. It's pretty. And he it, he like is that. yeah. It's solid. Like how is an amazing guitar player? It sounds great. <laughs> and I think it is a it is a nice sort of change of pace and laid springs brings the intensity down before heart of the sunrise, which is your big epic. And that's pretty common in prog albums. If there's a really big, long song, a lot of times, either right before it or right after it, depending on where that happens to be in the album, the, the band will do something much simpler. So you kind of like gets you ready, you know what I mean? Instead of just yeah. throwing things at you the entire time. So, Is there anything, I guess, interesting from your perspective that he's doing on guitar? I guess it's like guitar is kind of your bread and butter. So I'm just wondering. I actually have a classical guitar degree, so I should be able to talk about this. Yeah, more, I feel like no, you should. You have some authority on this. No, subject. I mean, <laughs> it's it's really nice. The melodies are great and, and he's playing it, playing it super well. And the song is, it's well composed. So, um, and it, it very much feels like a classical guitar piece to me. Yeah. It's not, you know, I mean, it's nothing like earth shattering as far as classical guitar goes, but, but okay. it's cool to hear on a rock album that kind of a, a thing yeah to throw that in there and there's a lot so, of i mean the beginning of roundabout is all that awesome acoustic classical stuff too so well that's the I, that's what i really love about this band i've learned to love since we i've been studying for this this episode but it's just yeah like we've already said this but they're all so different and they all bring these elements in and uh they somehow make it work and you, you can tell i mean the album is called fragile and it was supposed to represent the the uh, they said the fragile psychological state that they all had. Mm. And that's why the album cover, you know, is an earth that is is cracking. They originally wanted cracked porcelain to show that fragile-ness. Yeah. But um, I really, I don't know if this is true, but having all these egos with all these different visions for music in the same room is a very fragile thing. And that's probably why it didn't last for very long. I mean, I've, ex- uh, I've experienced that with original bands. It's like people have so many different, even if you're on the same page, it's like, people have different ideas about what they want and because music is so personal especially music that you write it's very easy for that to just turn into like screw you guys or whatever and like breaking yeah up. so makes yeah. sense so let's talk about the collaborative tracks i yes. guess um so we have south side of the sky we got long distance runaround and heart of the sunrise are the other ones aside from roundabout um yeah i don't know how about south side of the sky so, so that's the fourth track this, right, go ahead. Yeah, this one's cool because there's very much like it's almost like two songs in one, um, which mm-hmm. is a pretty common prog thing, right? So you have this sort of more rocking, heavier part that happens at the beginning and again at the end a little bit, and then you have that middle section, which is like very much a piano feature and layered vocals and much more, uh, much more laid back. So it's kind of cool. Like that's pretty common. You, know, you have might have two very different sort of things. Almost feels like two different songs kind of put into one. You know. Yeah, and I guess I guess the idea behind the song is it's about these dudes who climb a mountain and they die at the top. Yeah, okay. And yeah. once I learned that and then listened to it, I was like, oh, this is like creating a visual or a uh, 
a sort of a soundscape. Yeah, yeah. And then I could see, I could see the people climbing, and then and then I understood like, okay, this is the they have that sound effect of sort of a wind. Uh, and then the piano part is sort of them at the top of the mountain yeah, where yeah. they're like freezing to death and about to die. Uh, the bass at the beginning is a chug, and you get this sensation uh, with the soaring um, piano and the guitar. You get the sensation of you're climbing a mountain, and um, yeah. And then then that really opened the song up to me. I was like, oh, that's really cool that they did that. So yeah, and that's a good way of using. I didn't even know that's so as cool a way of using yeah. music to paint a picture. You know, I'm always off, often just thinking about the musical part of it, and I don't even necessarily think how the story uh, connects. But that's why I'm here, Morgan. I know you're here for the <laughs> you're here for the the lyrics. Who cares about lyrics? Now? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, these lyrics, honestly, how he writes are not my forte. Yeah, yeah. He has a very like he'll tell stories and stuff, but he has a very like romantic yeah, uh, yeah. sort of vibe to it. You're more where cynical. He's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like cynical, like anti-establishment <laughs> lyrics, and that doesn't show up in yes. No, no, no. Um, but I still can appreciate it. Like, well, wow, okay, he's painting a picture here with yeah, his. The band's lyrics, called you know? Yes, not No. So I know we should start a band called No, <laughs> and it just like makes all of it depressing and like we just, just take, metal. We take the same songs, but we make the lyrics just really depressing. <laughs> That's a good idea. They're no, like a car crash no. on the roundabout. Yeah. Although I guess dying on a mountain is kind of depressing. Kind of, you know? yeah. But yeah. But this um, uh, this song actually for the like the heavier parts of beginning and end um i think it's kind of like the sort of heaviest darkest part of the album probably that's what it seems like to me you kind of have like a it almost like a bordering on metal style like you know in terms of beginning especially with the bass and stuff yeah the yeah that chugging uh the climbing it's very driving yes it's cool and there's some really cool things in here um like the keyboards are doubling some of the riffs, like all that stuff. Yeah, um, which is cool. And then the verse, the verse is in E, the key of E, and then the chorus is in F sharp, which is like I always call that the Metallica key change. Like in, right, in Inter Sandman, right? yeah, yeah. No, no, in Inter Sandman, like the verse, you, we played that. The verse is in E, so you're playing an E, and then the chorus, you're playing an F sharp. Right. So you move up, up one step, one whole step. That's uh, I was called. Oh, sorry, F sharp. Not I said Phrygian. You you said F sharp. Okay, yeah. It's yeah. like uh, it's like the uh, Metallica key change, <laughs> but I thought that was interesting because I heard that here. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. That's where Metallica stole that from. Yeah, they totally ripped <laughs> yeah. it off. No, I, I doubt it. But yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know. I, the one thing I've heard, I, I watched this video that was an analysis of this song and they were, they were, the guy was very against, um, and sorry, I can't remember his name. He has a YouTube channel. I'll, I'll try to remind us to put it in the comments, but he talks about the drums that come in on this seem unnecessary. And I don't necessarily think that like, what do you mean is, at the beginning? No, in the bridge when it's doing the like, la, 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 you know, that whole thing. Mm, uh, no. Nah. Nah. Yeah, he, he he didn't he wasn't a big fan of that because he thought that it should really showcase the piano uh, because it fits in with being at the top of the mountain and they're supposed to be dying. And then it sort of explains the the warmth that they're entering into is supposed to be kind of like heaven, which is also like a throwback to we have heaven and stuff. So I don't know. I think that I think they sound great. <laughs> I think personally. they fit just fine. And, and the other thing yeah. is there's other instrumentation things going on there. Like there's no electric guitar happening through that whole like bridge part. So you do get right. rid of like the rock elements for that section um but that that part the middle part of this song i i don't know i think heart of the sunrise is my favorite song but this might be my one of my favorite section of music through the whole on the whole album it's just and you're talking about the la 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 yeah yeah that whole like extended part because you have the piano that comes in and 
it's just really well arranged. It's cool and it builds in a cool way. The chord progressions are awesome. There's a lot of yeah. it's very classically influenced. There's a lot of sort of like key changes throughout. Um, and then there's some cool odd time signatures too, which we haven't talked too much about. But uh, you have kind of like four four and six four alternating, and then the uh, the la la's I believe. That's like in seven four. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's cool. It's like a a very uh, so I didn't even realize that because I, I, again, I'm the lay person here. So they're doing like polyrhythms in that section. And I didn't even pick up on that. Well, not polyrhythms. Polyrhythms is two rhythms at the same time. Well, isn't that what you're, so what is the difference actually? Just for, Well, odd for time signatures on their own, they just, they're just counted. You know, it's just something that's not a common time signature. So like, a but, but if the, uh, but I thought you were saying the vocals are in a oh, different no, no, no. time signature. I was just mentioning than... there actually is some poly meter happening in Harvest Sunrise, okay. which I'll talk about later, but there's nothing here. Now the vocals are following the rhythms. It's just, there's mm, shifting meters here. So they're going back and forth between four, four and six, four. And then later there's right. seven, four sections. So poly meters yeah. and poly rhythms are different. A lot of people get those confused. But I'm not going to explain okay. that now because that's the music theory lesson. But okay. well, I don't know. I, I mean, I find it interesting to try to dissect, you know, what the, what the heck is going on. Uh, maybe I'll talk about it a little more when we get to the part of Heart of the Sunrise. But okay, yeah. Uh, anyway, so, but but that's uh, I I just like the way the song flows and builds, you know, and yeah. and I think the build back into the the rocking part at the end is works well too. So. Yep. And I, I just like, I, I mean, like I said, when I, I would, you should listen to it again. Once you have that idea of the mountain yeah, climbing I should, I should. and then listen to the lyrics and you're like, Oh, that's, that's the, uh, going together really well. Like that's a really, really good example of the lyrics complementing the music, uh, to build yeah a, a picture of what's I, I got to point out the one, uh, fast guitar scale run. I think it's like the second verse. I just like, no, that this is in the second verse. Yeah. Something like that. Um, it's funny cause you don't, one thing about guitar playing is guitar playing has come so far in 50 years because it's been 50 years since this album. So you didn't hear a lot of like straight scale runs like that up qu- fast on the guitar back then because it's actually really hard to do. Um, and guitars come a long way. It is actually, you kind of just blew my mind. Yeah, we are exa- we are 50 years yeah, from this. This is like the 50th anniversary of Fragile. Yep. That's why we yeah, chose yes, to do this. Yes, that's why we this. chose it. No. Except for we're not doing it on the day, so that makes sense. <laughs> darn we're gonna have yeah, to save like if we're still doing this in two years we have to save dark side of the moon for 2023 because that'll be 50 years <laughs> that is so crazy that that's 50 years i don't know i mean but, we weren't uh, alive during that <laughs> no i but you know like my dad would listen to dark side of the moon yeah, all the yeah. time he had a reel to reel and would listen to it was, and, he smoke, was he smoking weed while he did it uh <laughs> he probably was when he first got the reel to reel he was actually in vietnam so he oh. was able to get this is totally a side thing and no, i'm just fine. gonna go just, for just it go for it uh <laughs> He was in Vietnam. Uh, well, he's actually stationed in Thailand, but he was able to get uh, uh, some really cheap uh, stereo equipment through the, it's not called the commiss- commissary, but it's something like commissary. And he could basically buy the, the the sound equipment and then he would ship it back to Idaho where <laughs> I'm at. And so when he got back from Vietnam, he had all this amazing sound equipment. Uh, so he had a reel to reel player. Uh, I, and I, I remember he had this big stereo system with the big, huge speakers. So I grew up where he would put on a reel to reel and it would play, you know, um, I don't think he listened to yes a lot, but I know he had roundabout and he'd make these like mix tapes, but it was on a reel to reel. And if huh. you don't know a reel to reel is effectively a giant cassette. It's oh, like a yeah. cassette. That's about like three by two feet. <laughs> 
And so he would just record all kinds of stuff. So it'd play, you know, dark side of the moon yeah. and play Barry Maguire, Beatles, all that stuff. So, That's cool. so anyway, yeah. So, but I don't, uh, know, I don't know what I was talking about. One thing about <laughs> the guitar, which I was going to mention at some point here is like the distorted tone. That's one part of this album that feels dated to me. Um, okay. And, and I understand it. Because Where do you hear that at exactly? Or what, what did, I just want to pinpoint exactly what you're talking about. Just like, in general. Just I'm talking about like the distorted okay. electric guitar just in general across the album. Um, once again, guitar, electric guitar was still a fairly new instrument kind of at this, especially like rock electric guitar. You know, you're only like 15 years removed from the Telecaster kind of first coming or 20 years removed from the first Telecaster first coming out. Um, right. And like distortion circuits hadn't, they're, it's not the same way it is. It just sounds thin to me in uh-huh. a lot of ways um and that's because i'm used to modern like rock and and metal guitar tones where everything's super beefy and and you usually record two rhythm guitars left and right in their hard pan and it's like really full um and i just it just feels a little a little on the uh the uh trebly side to me just in general okay and the playing's great and stuff it's it's just a product of the time i mean i, I feel similarly about a lot of the tones on like Led Zeppelin too, in some, in some cases, um, not everything, but yeah. So, yeah. So then we go out of South side of the sky, which is an awesome track to 5% for nothing. And then it goes to long distance run around. And this was on the B side of roundabout. So this also got a lot of airplay. So back in the seventies, this would have, if you said yes, you probably recall long distance run around. This one of their most popular tracks. Uh, John Anderson wrote the song and, I, I don't, when I listen to the album, I don't pick this up, but he said that it was about how when he was younger, he would attend church and he felt like basically that the the congregants are, were not, were kind of hypocrites and he had never experienced like um, a real, compa- he said, real compassionate, non-threatening example of godliness. Mm. So, but I don't pick up on any of that when I just read the lyrics. Yeah, not really. Um, at all, but <laughs> yeah. That's because his lyrics are too, uh, too romantic, right? He doesn't, he doesn't want to go into the details of. Well, he almost, I think he picks a lot of words and stuff just for their sound. Yeah, I know he yeah. does that with he. Um, I think he says river a lot in a lot of songs, and I think it's just he likes that river yeah. like sound versus the actual content of the lyrics. I've noticed some, vo- yeah, yeah, some vocalists will do that. Like they will specifically say certain words more often than you would normally do it in like normal conversa- conversation. And maybe right. it's because they like the way that those words sound when they sing them, you know? Yep. So, hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. That does play into, you know, they, there's an interesting thing with lyrics. It's like you want to get a point across, but also at the same time, sometimes they can just be not really make sense, like as a sentence, you know? And sometimes it, it's better if they, if, if it sounds good and flows good as opposed to being like really grammatically correct, you know? Mm-hmm. So what do you think about the composition, I mean, of Long Distance Runaround? This what, song is really fun. This song is you? fun. It's just, it's, it's far. We talked about Yes being more fun in general, but this is probably the best example of that. Uh, yeah. I really like that opening melody, and, and they bring it back a couple different times, like over different sections. It yeah. kind of comes back over the vocals later. Um, 
the bass at the beginning of this is absolutely ridiculous. Like I never really noticed it before, but like when the bass first kicks in, it's just it's just crazy. It's going all over the place. Yeah, um, because it's following. Is does it accompany the guitar? No, it actually? doesn't. It's kind. Of, I mean, it's catching it's some of it. I think, thing. but it's doing like a lot of straight sixteenth notes. Kind of. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I like this song. Uh, it's it's not my favorite, but I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, sure. it's 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 a it's a little more of an accessible song, you know, in the way that it's all in four four, and there's some really cool rhythms and things that are happening. But you know, it's it's not like the most most earth shattering thing from a, like a technical perspective. But right, um, you have I did notice like in the verses, especially you get these like piano going beep 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 like doing quarter note kind of stuff right it kind of sounds i was gonna that say always it reminds me like, like the, reggae yeah <laughs> i don't know what you think of that but it's not exactly for some reason of... i always think of of uh i always think of like the beatles when i hear like piano just chugging away on like a uh, quarter notes someone back there <laughs> my my baby is trying to break into my room oh right there you now. go <laughs> See, I'm downstairs away from my kids, so they can't get in. That's where I am too. And he found me. He, he found me. <laughs> yeah, long long distance runaround. So when I get on Spotify and I look at their top ten, this one's up. On you know, the top songs. Ten. Yeah, this is number seven okay. as far as listens go. Um, I'm curious what the other ones are. Just since you're talking so, about it. Well, in Spotify, yeah, your top is Owner of a Lonely Heart, then Roundabout, um, then I've seen All Good People, okay. and yep. that's off their uh, the album before this one, I believe. That's a popular one too. Yeah. Uh, Love will find a way. Oh my gosh, oh. Love will find a way off the big album. That is what plays during the Breakfast Club. Like that is the most '80s <laughs> <laughs> song ever. Uh, sweetness, uh, which is is older than uh, than fragile, is next. Uh, changes, which is off the nine one zero nine zero one two five nine zero one two five nine zero two one zero nine zero two one zero. And and so the only the 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 songs that are off that are ranked the highest that are off of this album are roundabout. Long distance run around and heart of the sunrise. Okay, so that makes sense. Yeah. Those are like the three three big ones. Yeah, that's funny. I, I mean, I figured some more of the '80s stuff would be on there. Now I'll have to listen to that song. I'm just uh, I'm gonna just put that over a video of the Breakfast Club, and then <laughs> you seriously could. Yeah, no, go back, listen to Love Will Find a Way, and uh, yeah, it it just sounds like a John Hughes movie. It, in fact, I'd be surprised if it's not in a John Hughes movie. To be, it's probably written for a John Hughes movie. I'm actually, I'm going to look it up. Uh, <laughs> I want to see, I want to see if it is. Um, well, so yeah. So I don't know. Is there anything else? That's a pretty short song. No, it's, it's a short song. song it, it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. It's a, it's a good, it's a good lighthearted listen. So and, now we can finally get to what you've been you really waiting to talk about. And that is the heart oh, of yes. the sunrise. Did we have anything else to say about the fish? We didn't really talk about it too much. I mean, I, the fish is awesome. And when you watch it live, it's super impressive. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce that Latin. What is yeah, it? Shindularia yeah, I pray. Uh, yeah, I don't even have it in front of me. But uh, it just means fish in Latin, basically. Um, and it's, it's cool. I, it's multiple layers, right? Is is he playing? Is there two basses? Oh, yeah. There's a number of different um, layered guitars and basses. Like you can hear... At least a couple different guitar parts. There's one doing these cool harmonics. That might actually be the bass doing harmonics. A that is so. That is the bass doing the harmonics, okay. and then I believe well, that there's he has a main a, the bass, bass part. come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of that lower end could be handled by the keyboard too. I'm not sure exactly how they're doing it. 
a lot of times when the bass goes up higher, you know, and the sort of thing you think about like the doors or something, which didn't even have a bass player, like the keyboard can handle a lot of bass stuff too. See, and actually I, it isn't multiple layers of bass. I, he's doing the harmonics and then he's also playing. Oh, he's doing both. Bass. Okay. As I'm listening to it right now. And yeah, it, well, no, yeah, it, it might, just... it could, it might be layered though. I have to listen again to you know, the idea, but it is cool. I, and I also, again, this would be something to watch live. I don't know that it, I mean, it's cool to listen to on the on the soundtrack, but it'd be something like a spectacle to watch. You know, you go watch the S live, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is crazy that they're doing this." Yeah, that, and that'd it's, be sort uh, of a... it's all in seven four for anyone who's curious about that. Right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, it, I, I think of this as an instrumental, but then I, there's vocals at the end, but the vocals are kind of in this case almost like an instrument, like they're just repeating the same thing over and over again. Like you can right. use vocals as a textural thing, not just for lyrics, right? You can have vocals like or even in the middle of the south south side of the sky. And um, it's saying it's just saying the Latin fish. Exactly. Right? Chandelaria. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not even really I mean, it's still instrumental really, and the vocals are just kind of like a you know, another layer to add on top. So So unfortunately John Hughes movies don't have yes oh, in it. So it's disappointing. But they maybe they've been uh, better if they had some yes in there. Yeah. But this kind of yes, not the eighties yes. Now it'd make it's it just Heart of the cooler. Sunrise playing behind a John yeah. Hughes movie. At the prom and, you know, uh, what's her, in Pretty in Pink or whatever. Like, yeah, no. It's... Going to the prom, shot, distance. <laughs> uh, anyway. But let's talk about yes, Heart of the, the sunrise, sunrise because that, well, I don't know. You said this is your favorite, right? Favorite this, track? This is my favorite track off this album for sure. It might be yeah. my favorite Yes song in general, although Close to the wow. Edge is awesome too. I'm a big fan of the epics because I'm a yeah. prog guy. I just feel like there's so many different things you can do with a long song, um, but close to the edge is is awesome too. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't. I I don't. Uh, maybe you could explain. I know that you don't necessarily want to play uh, explain musical theory, but I believe this has recapitulation where they like do a they play the same melody throughout different parts of the song. Is that what? Oh, there's an, is? it happens all over the place. So what right. they have is these melodic and rhythmic motifs. What we call them, which is just like small bits of musical information and like right off the bat so this thing happens at the beginning this it's in six four but it's the 16th note run of which is awesome yeah. but if you listen like this happens in the entire song the song literally ends with this too but it's happening um this part comes in the guitars over top of this slower bass part at about a minute into it then you have it this that fast part from the beginning goes back and forth with this weird part at the instrumental section about seven minutes in and then going back mm -hmm. and forth between that. So there's f three or four different instrumental kind of melodic rhythmic ideas that you're going to hear, you hear throughout the whole tune. So, okay. And when you have, so that's like, like just to, just to give a frame of reference for maybe somebody who's listening to this, that, that is trying to understand prog rock. Like, would this be like uh Beethoven's fifth? The like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah. That that theme That's a motif. reappears. Yeah. yeah, that reappears throughout other sections of the song, right? Yeah, so someone yeah. who's okay. maybe if someone who's not a music theory person, I think an easy way to explain it is think about like a movie soundtrack. Um so in a movie soundtrack, they're often called light motifs. Mm -hmm. And you, the whatever that me melody is, usually a melody is um is writ is like either written for a character or for a specific feeling. Like you think uh Darth Vader's theme in Star Wars. Right, right. That is his theme. So anytime that he's popping up, you're going to see that theme in different ways, right? 
Um, I think the best example. Like if he's interacting with Leia, it may have both of those motifs coming exactly, together and yeah. playing off of each other. I think the yeah. best example of that is when um, Darth Vader dies at the end of Return of the Jedi. Like, or no, actually no, the best one is when, when he tells Luke that he's his father. And right. then you hear the Darth Vader theme, but it's all sad and melancholy as opposed right. to like mean and triumphant like it is earlier on. So that's right. that's kind of the example. And that kind of stuff happens in Prague all the time. So you have a couple of different melodic ideas or rhythmic ideas, whatever it happens to be. And especially in a longer song like this, which is really like a big story, you just want to bring back those things every once in a while just to connect the song together because you're not going to have a typical song structure like a pop song, song a pop song would have where you're going to get the chorus repeating back and forth, which is going to, because the chorus is typically tying everything together if you're listening to a pop song. But as soon as you get into this like complex, you need other things to help the song feel like a cohesive piece of music. Mm, so okay, a lot of times, like when I'm writing longer songs, I'm always doing this. Almost every single song I write has like specific motifs or ideas that I'm trying to bring back as much as possible in different ways, just so I can keep the song connected. Otherwise you end up with prog songs that just sound like a bunch of different ideas for like 10 minutes straight. Right. Um, so what, what's happening? I know that this song has some weird stuff rhythmically going on. I mean, you have that initial part that boom. Yeah. So that's what I was going to talk about. Uh, what I just mentioned earlier. Um, so you have this fast runs happening at the beginning. That's in 6-4. And then this slower part with the bass that's all moody, that's in 4-4. Four, four. But then that the guitar brings back that original 6-4 part over top of the 4-4. Four, four. And Okay, so what this is happening at about like 3-ish minutes That's like 2-ish two, minutes in. Um and that's polymeter. So okay. polymeter meaning more than 1 meter. So you have instruments playing different meters at the same time, and this one is so this one isn't particularly complex because six four and four four they line up with each other after three measures if you do the math. But um, three measures of four four. Okay. Because if you uh, think if just it's all about math. So if you th think about how six divides into four, so if right. you do six twice, you get twelve, and if you do four right. three times, you get twelve. Right. So two measures of the six or three measures of the four, that's where they're going to line back up. So do you know, like, have bands, I don't know, obviously in classical music they've done this before, but had bands been doing this in rock um, before this album? Oh, yeah, probably in a few places, but, um, you know, it, it became more and more common as it goes forward. We'll, we'll see this more often. Okay. Um, I mentioned Symphony X again, but there's a few parts... There's one Symphony X song where it's literally like six different instruments and they're all in different time signatures. And right. And like, like Porcupine Tree does this also Porcupine quite a bit. Well, I mean, all, lots of prog bands do this. Yeah. Part. Okay. Okay. Um, that's kind of what's happening there. Um, and it's cool. And, and more than anything else, it, it brings back that original sort of fast me melody part over the top. It's just another idea of connecting these parts together. Right. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, and then there's there's this uh like transition part is what I call it the right right that, bam, bam, that whole part yeah, yeah that happens yeah, yeah. a number of times and and that is usually used to move to a new section like that moves into the first vocal part that moves back to this original kind of intro faster part so um, okay it's all those little kind of things that they're adding in that are adding up to the whole you know 
Um, and one thing about there's another thing is the vocals don't kick in for almost four minutes. It was like four minutes of instrumental, which is another really common thing for a long prog song is just to have instrumentals for a super. Long. Right. And that's like in a three, four time signature too. Uh, six. Yeah. You can count it as three, it four six? or six, four, one, six, two, okay. three, four. Five. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's the thing. It, the song is just epic and it's so beyond anything that is like pop related at all, you know? Like it's not something that would make the charts. It's not something that would get radio play, but it still is one of their most popular songs. Yeah. And it just has some really epic qualities to it. Uh, it definitely is kind of a, a, to me, it's a preview of close to the edge, like yeah. the epicness of that album. Uh, you kind of get a taste. They of probably it here, had fun writing this one and thought, Hey, we should go even further on the next that, one. That's the impression that I get. Yeah. Uh, when you listen to it live, I listen to a few live recordings. It you can tell that there's some struggles to play this song, especially in their early live recordings. Like I heard a lot of um, mistakes, I guess, when they're playing. Not a lot, but a few, because this is hard to play. There's, especially like you said, without a metronome yeah. or anything, uh, this would be really. Especially tough. that sort of crazy part. This is probably the most insane part of the whole album, especially from a playing perspective at about seven minutes in and all that right, stuff. Right. And you're going back and forth between that and the fast intro part. And then there's these vocal parts that alternate with like a part that's in nine, four, there's just all kinds of stuff happening. That part, and that's the Moog, the Moog thing. That's like that whole thing. Yeah. Okay. And that part there at seven minutes on for the next couple of minutes after that is it's really just a bunch of these different ideas from earlier, but they're just like put back to back in different arrangements and orders. So it's right. like, you're like, you're going to do this one for two bars and then back to this one for three bars. And this one for, I didn't chart it out exactly, but that's what it feels like to me. It's just like, Bleh. and that's a very much a kind of uh, quintessential over the top prog instrumental thing is just to like the, the wanking, the wanking. <laughs> yes. It, this is like a, look what we can do. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like some of those dream theater songs. They just like heard this and they're like, well, let's just do this, but make it like a thousand times more crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the impression I get. Um, but it, you know, I can hear all of that stuff kind of cuts coming from this, you know, as this is like right. a, a starting point for that and just the epic nature of it in general. So that's a very common thing in, in, in Prague. Um, yeah. I almost feel this like this is the most proggy song, oh, right? right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it has the most elements of it. Of this is like, sure. yeah, I mean, the rest of the album is really complex too, but this is this one's on kind of another level. But I also yeah. think that this one kind of works better as a song too. Like, I don't know, it, it just it ties everything together nicely, you know? Right. And there is there is a, I mean, we we can wrap up. I would did want to say that some I'm not sure where, but some albums included an additional track mm. uh, aside from the re reprise of, of uh, "We Have Heaven." They included "America" by Simon and Garfunkel, but it's done by Chris. Uh, you know, it's done by Yes. Yeah, and that's on the like deluxe edition. Yeah, and I think it's set. on close to the edge, I believe, as well. Mm. Uh, like it's actually a part of that, but you know. They were just inspired by the vocal harmonies of Simon and Garfunkel, yeah. uh, Chris Squire and John Anderson. And so that's why they included their own rendition. But it does have some pretty tricky wankery going yeah, on yeah. on the uh, on that song, too. So, But I think of Heart of the Sunrise as really being kind of the end of the album. It kind of ties everything together. But yeah, yeah. That's just an additional. A lot of bands would do that. They would do an additional kind of cover or uh, rearrangement or like a, you, sometimes you'll see like 
I don't know, at the end of the album, someone will put a, a, a different arranged version of one of their own songs. Like, here's an instrumental version of this or their... Right. Like Haken, Haken includes, you know, without the vocals. And On the mountain, like that, yeah, there's, a, there's yeah. that part at the end. So that kind of thing. So it happens. Um, but the funny thing is I never find myself listening to those. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know. I, I think I prefer the music in its original form if it's – even if it's a cover in a lot of cases. So – yeah. Um like when it gets when it gets to America like on the deluxe version I've been listening to I just I just stop it cuz I don't really care. <laughs> you know? Why well, also I mean there's I I usually I kind of skip through to the main core tracks on this, you know, I skip Cans and Brahms a little bit yeah, if I'm listening I mean, or it, We Have Heaven. Um I kind of just go for the good as stuff. As I mentioned it feels songs. Yeah, as I mentioned it feels like uh some of those feel like filler. Particularly yeah. uh Cans and Brahms and 5% for nothing. I, I yeah. think the other well, and maybe even mood for a day. I think the other ones kind of blend, kind of fit in more. But, mm-hmm. um, like the fish is cool. I don't think I would skip that one when listening to it. That is, that yeah, I agree actually. That I, is... I do think the album works as a whole though, even with these extra kind of filler songs. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I guess. Uh. What What do you think? So what's your favorite song? Is it? It's heart of the sunrise. Yeah, definitely heart of the sunrise. Okay. Pro- followed closely by a south side of the sky. I think. Okay, that's interesting. So actually, my favorite song now is Roundabout on this album. I love Roundabout. That's a great song. It it was hard for, you know, it actually, uh, uh, that YouTube video helped me understand it in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you hear Roundabout so much in just everyday life. I mean... It, I, I believe that it's on it's on an anime it's on a it's like a meme for jojo's bizarre adventure it plays <laughs> in the end credits like that song pops up all over the place you know i remember playing rock band playing on rock band all that stuff but then when i really sat down this time and listened to it i really appreciate it i appreciate the tightness of it yeah and i appreciate just the the, the straightforwardness of it it's definitely not as proggy as heart of the sunrise but it's still it it shows that they can do what yes does which is hit this pop sensibility they're like here's a song that anybody can listen to also we're awesome you know that's hard (laughs) to do it is hard to do i don't know you know king crimson even though you know 21st century schizoid man was is a fairly popular song it definitely is not like roundabout status you know yeah as far as like popular songs from this era that are that were accessible but also complex i mean roundabout's probably at the top of the list or up close I think so, or you know, Tom Sawyer. You know, it's definitely. But up Tom there Sawyer's not as complex sure. as Roundabout. Like I think in its yeah. length and instrumentation, Tom Sawyer is a shorter song. Um, that's cool though. I mean, the thing is, Roundabout's awesome. It's one of my favorites off this album, and one of my favorite Yes songs. I think, I think it's easy, especially if you're kind of a proggy snob person. It's easy to just dismiss the popular songs. You know what I mean? It'd be like a real Rush fan would never be like, "What well, Tom Sawyer is my f- my favorite song." Yeah. You know what I mean? It'd be like, but Y-Y-Z the truth is, or, you know, something. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, Roundabout's awesome, and yeah, just because no, it's their uh, most popular song doesn't mean that it's bad. <laughs> yeah, that that's the thing. Like, I had to get over that idea of it being popular. Yeah, to be exactly. like, Wait, this song is awesome. <laughs> yeah, like in your head, you're like, "Oh, I don't want to." And well, people do that with bands too. 
you know, it's well, like, and it's, especially I play bass. Like uh, there's always people like, Oh, can you play roundabout by Chris Squire? It's like almost at a, like a Seinfeld level for a bass player. Yeah, like, yeah. Can you play Seinfeld? You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so you, I really had to back away from the song and sort of reapproach it from a different place to be like, Oh, this is really well, pe- people can do that with bands overall too. It's like, well, you listen to this band. Well, have you checked out blah, blah, blah. And this stuff, like a dozen underground bands. It's like, you know, yeah. we're talking about the, the big bands for the most part, because they're the most important ones. I mean, not many people know you're like super weird, obscure prog bands from this time period. I'm sure no. we'll maybe cover some of those at some point, but yeah, you know, I mean, these, you things have... are, these things are popular for a reason. So, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't think we mentioned this. Wakeman was pulled from the Straubs, mm-hmm. um, which were an earlier prog band, which I do think we should talk about, which they aren't very popular. He actually popular. got pulled, pulled, called to play for David Bowie. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He played on, da- I, I, uh, yeah, he played for David Bowie. Uh, or he was going this. to, but then he chose to. Well, he does. Yes. He does actually play keyboard oh, yeah, on yeah. a song. Oh, I'm but sure. I, I did include. In fact, I'm going to add that to the. We have a a playlist yes, on Spotify. Prog School podcast episode two. Yes, fragile. But I included uh, the Hangman and the Papist, okay. which is like Wakeman's uh, song that he did for the Straubs, where he really showcases the skill. But I, I I wanted to go back. I also included you know the other prog albums that are happening during this time. I mean, you have. Uh, uh, uh Tarkus also comes out this year by um Emerson Lake and Palmer. Um you have the Maha Vishnu Orchestra uh has the inner um shoot I, I can't remember. I'm a big Maha Vishnu fan. I was I, Are you really? I wasn't sure. I've never talked to you about I it. I discovered and, them when I was in high school and that was they're like, more jazz, right? It's like, like jazz fusion, yeah. That was right. my uh one of my gateways into really loving fusion. We should maybe talk yeah. about Maha Vishnu Orchestra, but <laughs> that'd be fun. Yeah, and we and it also uh, I think T Rex counts as actually no T Rex does not count as prog. I don't know I said that, but there's also Pink Floyd Metal, uh, and Pink Floyd Metal is like their prog album that sounds more like '70s Pink Floyd than '60s Pink Floyd. You know, <laughs> yeah. Sid Barrett Pink Floyd, uh, and one of my favorite Pink Floyd um, uh, songs comes out during that time, Echoes, which yep. I, I think that's a great is song. an amazing, amazing song. Um, so that's kind of what you have going on, I guess uh during this time when this album releases but you know people are not going to the general public is not going to be able to quote any of those songs from those albums yeah like this one like roundabout yeah yeah like roundabout so so what what do you think actually why do you think a regular person should listen to this album i i'm kind of curious what you like what is what they should listen what songs no, like, why should they? Like, if you took a person uh, that was just an average person and they're listening to just like uh, just terrible pop music, and you're like, listen, you need to listen to Yes Roundabout because <laughs> why? <laughs> or sorry, not Yes Fragile. Why? To educate yourself. Well, I mean, I, I, this might be an album I'd give someone like that because it's a little more uh, maybe upfront accessible, you know. And, and I would choose certain songs like Roundabout or Long Distance Run Around. I wouldn't start them with Heart of the Sunrise, probably. Um, yeah, it would be like, what is this? Well, yeah, just cause there's no vocals, you know, people who aren't maybe that educated about music, they're, they're typically just listening for vocals. And that's another reason why I would choose something like roundabout because it is very vocal heavy. Um, right. But I would just recommend, you know, if someone was listening first time, just say, Hey, listen to like the different layers of what's going on here. Um, try to like listen to how many different vocal parts are happening. Um, some of the like different styles of music, the Latin rhythms and stuff that they're bringing in. Um, yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's tricky. I mean, to get 
this this probably wouldn't be my first thing that I would have someone listen to if they went again to Prague. Uh, if de- yeah. well, it kind of depends on the person and what other styles of music they listen to, but yeah, you kind of got to find a, a a gateway. For yeah, it, I mean, if know? someone was into like if if it was someone who was into seventies rock and stuff and and like music from this time period, then yeah, this would probably be something I would recommend to them. But if someone who's used to like modern sensibilities, I probably would start with something a little more modern and different, and you know, not not something that's fifty years old. <laughs> yeah, but. yeah. Well, okay, I, I think uh, I think we've covered everything oh, about yeah. this album. Nice Overall, ama- amazing album. I'm really glad that I got to kind of explore Yes and study Yes and learn to appreciate them in a new way. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. And and you know, this is a very important band and album for a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about later. So it's good to cover it early on. Yeah, um, yeah. Next uh, next episode, we've got Pink Floyd's "Wish You Were Here," which we are both. Super- I'm super stoked. Yep. Cause I've listened to that since I was a little kid. And so yeah. I'm very excited for that. Um, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, we're just getting started here. This is our second episode. And uh, I, I actually, at this point we haven't released them yet. Uh, and I'm really excited just to see where this goes. Yeah, be fun. Uh, where yeah. can people find you Morgan? Where, oh, yes. what, what else are you doing? <laughs> well, my main thing is the Prague school, which is on YouTube. You can just search the Prague school. I'm sure we'll have, we'll all have all the links below and all that. Um, but I'm doing, writing original music and releasing it every single month with big masterclass lessons that go along with that uh, analysis videos guitar lessons backing tracks i do live streams every couple of weeks um, all kinds of stuff if you want to learn from a musical perspective how to understand prog and how to write it and some of the things that i do to approach this kind of music then go check it out because uh, i'm doing a lot of stuff and i'm putting a lot of work into it so yeah yeah yeah, you are for sure. And you can find me. You can find me on on Facebook. It's as the Prague School. On Instagram, I'm just Morgan Wick Music. Um, and that's your email, Mor- Morgan, Morgan Wick Music, music no, at Gmail. No, don't spam right? me with emails. <laughs> I'm just talking. I have okay. I have my email in all of my video descriptions, so I don't care. Um, okay. But yeah, and I have original music on on all your streaming services, and that's just under Morgan Wick. Even the Prague School stuff is under Morgan Wick. So. And I uh, did the album art for that. He so, did yeah. the album art for my album, The Ascent, which came out a couple of years ago. But I'm, I'm doing, as I'm releasing one song a month for the Prague School, those are all on the streaming services too. So as they pop up, you know, you can pick those up. They're also on my band camp. If you want to support me more directly, I get a little bit more money that way. So, cool. and, I, and I sell tabs and I sell backing tracks and you know all kinds of other i know stuff. i'm trying to learn your uh, newest song right now and nice. i only have a four string bass and i definitely need a five string bass yes gerald wrote song. lyrics for a, <laughs> gerald wrote lyrics for a couple of songs that are coming up later this year for the prog school once i finally get some vocals on there I'm super excited about that so i'm really excited you can look that, forward but... to that in the future too so. yeah well, all right uh thank you for listening everybody yeah. uh as always stay proggy right, right. and uh we'll see you next time with pink floyd wish you were here yep Later.